0: For
1: exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Kevin Flynn with Elizabeth Rome, and this is a bonus edition of These Are Their Stories.
0: You think you know who did it, but you
1: don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no order.
2: Stories.
1: Welcome to a bonus edition of These Other Stories. I was contacted recently by some folks over at the podcast Killer's Vault. The podcast stars two Hollywood types. One is actor Eric Roberts, the other, the host of the podcast, is Ms. Elizabeth Rome, who you will remember as Serena Sutherland from the original recipe. Law & Order. Now, they reached out because uh, they wanted to promote this this new podcast that they have. It's a true crime podcast. So Elizabeth Rome did agree to come on, and uh, we will talk about that. But of course, there are so many things that we need to talk about, Serena Sutherland. But you know the one question I want to ask, and I did get to it. But let's listen to that. Elizabeth Rome, thank you for joining us on These Are Their Stories. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, so you've got a new podcast coming out, True Crime. It's called Killer's Vault, and we will talk about that. But I what do you think I want to talk to you about?
2: Mm, these are their stories. I would <laughs> say law of order.
1: what was the the casting process like? Were they you were the um I think the fifth actor sort of in that slot. Are they saying, hey, we want to do something different where we want to do more of the same? What, what was that like for you?
2: Well, here's the deal. I had done a pilot with Dick Wolf um, when I first started acting and it did not get picked up. And I started opposite Kyle McLaughlin. I was so thrilled. I thought I'd really made it. I mean, I've got about a hundred stories of like, I think I've really made it. That was the first one. (laughs) And then it began my long relationship with Dick and getting to collaborate with him and work for him. Um, When the role of the ADA and law and order became available, and uh, I auditioned for it, but I had very much pursued the opportunity to audition for it. And Dick Wolf felt I looked a little too young and not as believable. And Angie Harmon got it. She was much more of a siren, much more of a woman. And I still looked a lot like, you know, a, I don't know, a, a teen teen version of Drew Barrymore. And uh, and then when Angie left, I pursued again the opportunity to audition for it. And that's when I got it. <laughs>
1: Well, we've done on our podcast a lot of the episodes that featured you, and these are just some of our favorites. Uh, Myth of Fingerprints, we certainly love it when we see a a Van Buren Sutherland Scooby-Doo episode. Tragedy on Rye, there's a great scene that we talk about where Serena talks about her feelings about the death penalty, which you were really great in. My
2: point is right now I'm more convinced than ever that this job would be a lot easier if I was one of those people from St. Bart's at least then making a decision about taking a man's life wouldn't be so excruciating.
1: COD, whereas one were you, okay, I'm, so I'm using you. I know it's not Elizabeth Rome. You have no agency. You do the thing that they write for you, but I sometimes it's better than just saying she you got to try this murder case and you out would McCoy at at your hang 'em highness, which was great.
2: I didn't want to admit that I bought a gun illegally. Okay, so that's one felony you admit to lying about. Does it get easier the second time around? Objection!
1: Sustained manners, Ms. Sutherland. Our favorite is The Ring, where you go all Miss Marple, and remember you say that the murder victim wouldn't have brought her evening bag to the World Trade Center on the morning of September 11th, so therefore she was murdered the night before. The bag they found at the Trade Center was an evening bag, a
2: bag a woman takes to work, it has a phone book, a date book, a pen. The rescue workers found the bag she took to dinner the night before, not the one she usually took to work in the morning. Which I saw in her sister's closet. The thing is, her fiancé testified under
1: oath that the evening bag is the one that she takes to work every day. He's lying, Jack.
2: That was one of my favorite ones. Right? Right? Yes.
1: Yes. Plus, you also had, there was a scene you had a great legal argument with Branch where he literally took the Constitution off the wall and handed it to you. And it was just, you know, it, it. I thought it was pretty much typical brand. I
2: mean, I, I think, I think having a presidential can, a future presidential candidate now deceased, rest in peace, Fred Thompson, uh, take off the United States Constitution off the wall and give it to you. That was a good. That was a sign of things to come. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was amazing.
1: You had another great fight with Branch in about the war on terror in Paradigm that we loved. We can't
2: have Iraqi assassins roaming the streets of New York, executing America. I still think we should have handed her over to the military. We could have just ducked the whole issue instead of trying to set policy. And I
1: can't believe I have pusillanimous pussyfooters on my own staff. In Impatient Zero, you attempt to convict a scientist who started a coronavirus outbreak to infect his lover.
0: Well, still, shouldn't
1: we be wearing masks or something? That one aged well,
2: that one, that one definitely aged well.
1: (laughs) I want to ask, do you have any favorite episodes that were great to do or when you see them, you're like, wow, that one really came out great.
2: You know, I was on Law and Order at the time when gay marriage was first becoming a very big headlining uh, concern issue and movement. And I think a lot of the episodes where they uh, we delved into um, a storyline around um, any, you know, sort of emotional narrative about being gay uh, really became important to me. And I wondered sometimes if that's why Dick Wolf made Serena um, a lesbian and have her come out on the show, because I had really felt very passionate about the episodes that got into not only gay marriage, but gay rights, equal rights. And, um, just, uh, I don't remember what they were called, but I, I remember caring very deeply about those episodes. So, um, for those that wonder about that water cooler moment, why I was outed or why I outed myself. I was
1: never going to ask. Is this because I'm a lesbian? A lot of people. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people obviously remember that part. Tell us about how the arrangement for your departure came about and that, that, did you have any kind of hand in that being the the final scene?
2: Well, you know, Dick Wolf asked me if I wanted the normal Law and Order departure, if I wanted something splashy, and I said, splashy. I mean, who wants to do the typical anything? So <laughs> when he sent me the pages for that, I, like I said, I wasn't surprised because I had shown so much passion, I thought, in the episodes that dealt with um, any LGBT Uh, topics. And so it seemed really appropriate. Um, Actors always have secrets about their characters that give them a sparkle in their eye. I always thought that Serena could be gay because she never flirted with Jack McCoy. Unlike there was, you know, some sort of tension between he and other ADAs of the past. Mm -hmm. There was none between Jack and Serena. It was much more of a mentorship relationship. So I don't know. I always thought you know, kind of to myself, maybe she, maybe she's gay. And then when he came up with that, I thought I asked him, I said, are you reading my mind? And he (laughs) laughed and he said, no, I just, I think this could be a really great water cooler moment. I mean, and that was really it. And, um, and sadly, I think it hasn't been explored. I would love for Serena to come back in any of the law and order uh, iterations and, and be uh, an out woman. And, Uh, An incredible lawyer and be a part of the law and order universe again.
1: Do you understand why the fan base hasn't quite, I would say, accepted that? It's because it seems like to a lot of people and maybe not, as you know, on the inside. And I know you've heard this, that uh, it was an imperfect representation of lesbians on screen, I guess. And that it didn't feel natural. What, What did you see it that way? Or do you understand why fans think that?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's not a character driven show. And I think when you make light of something very, very serious, it doesn't feel, um, handled with the depth and, uh, you know, um, that it, that is required to get into, you know, um, things that are very deeply personal and very important like that. It's not something light to be brushed off. Um, and so there may be that feeling, but I would say it was the beginning of what could be a great opportunity to get into uh, the law and order world with some of the LGBTQ um, concerns and issues because it's really an opportunity. We have an a, you know, an iconic character that did come out in the last episode, and I think you could bring Serena back into that world and really get in a deeper way into bringing that narrative into the law and order. Uh, storytelling. So I don't think that there's anything to look back on and be critical of. I actually think, it, you know, we could look forward and see how Serena Sutherland could begin to tell that narrative in the law and order world.
1: I, I don't want to be the heretic, but I feel like that's why she was fired. Yes, it was because she was a lesbian, not whether or not she was a lesbian, but I'm going down saying yes, Branch was just that sneaky about it.
2: Oh, no, I don't know. I think she just had like a you know a bleeding heart and she she wasn't she didn't have that quality that a DA sort of needs to have. Um, but where she is in the world today and how she could fit into the world of the law and order st- storytelling. I don't know. That's in the brilliant mind of Dick Wolf.
1: Before we move on, I just want to ask one more question. And I kind of hate the, uh, oh, tell us about this person and tell us about that person. But, I mean, you did get to work with two great actors, Sam Waterston and Jerry Orbach. And just what did they bring to the set for you professionally when you're, you know, they're running lines or just giving the emotional temperature of the room with a look? Were they helpful to you as, as an actor?
2: Yeah, they're very, very different their style and the I was very close to Sam I still am I mean there's never been a better actor he is a true thespian
1: this is the point where I wanted to break in and ask is this because he's a thespian
2: um from you know his beginnings to um his contribution to law and order and everything that he does in between in all these decades to you know Grace and Frankie I mean he's you know, all of his work in the theater. Um, he is just a phenomenal uh, professional. And I and both of them, I would say, really inspired me to treat my work with the most diligent um, seriousness, but also a delightful joy, playfulness, and enthusiasm for the work. And uh, Jerry Orbach said at one point that when I first came on, he said, okay, kid, you know, we only we only have time for two takes. So you know, you got to get it right. I've got to get a go- I got a golf game and I got, you know, I got to go to the deli and hang out with my friends or whatever he said, but it's true. You know, I mean, this is, you know, this is not, um, a self-indulgent game, you know, to be privileged enough to be an actor and an artist, you know, requires commitment and working harder than others. And they both inspired me to do my work, be prepared, get it done fast and really also what they inspired me to achieve in my life is balance. They both were happily married, have our, you know, Sam, and have a beautiful family. And they, they really were the epitome and the picture of, of that abundance and balance that I think we all strive for and um, consummate professionals and so talented and fun and funny. So I, I, I love them both one, you know, in heaven and one still with us.
1: And Rebecca wants to know if Jesse L. Martin is actually gorgeous. <laughs> Beyond gorgeous. Okay. I mean, so gorgeous. She's going to be so happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell us about your new true crime podcast. It's called Killer's Vault. How did you come by the material, the the letters? And there's some recordings and things like that that uh, you say have not been seen or heard. How, will the, how are those obtained? That's really interesting to me.
2: So... Barbara and Richie Dickstein acquired these uh, letters and recordings and things over the last, you know, whatever, 20 years. Uh, Richie is since deceased. And Barbara's friends, Dave and Lynn, helped her to organize the whole vault. And we had a relationship with Dave and Lynn and a friendship with them. And so um, they are the ones who have created the access to this material, So, um, what makes it unique is not that people corresponded with murderers in prison. There are many people who do that. What made it unique, uh, to me is the length in time that each, that Barbara and Richie corresponded with some of the most notorious killers of the 20th century and the deep personal relationships. And yes, did they manipulate them and sort of, uh, you know, um, Drive the the correspondence to the result that they were looking for, which was information and intimacy and all of that. Yes, they did. But they did have long term relationships with some of the most notorious serial killers. And because of that, I'd say Killer's Vault is incredibly original.
1: What's the format?
2: So the format is is, um, another great actor, Eric Roberts, is the sort of reenactment and embodiment of the relationships between Barbara and Richie Dickstein and the serial killers that they corresponded with over decades of time. And I host from a more enigmatic sort of um, objective point of view, the thread of the history of those particular killers and i engage with experts on the topics that are important to the essential topics that are important to those particular serial killers so as we look into the next up ep- season you know in this season we get into gacy and uh schaefer and you know several others And in the next season uh as we begin to explore each of those serial killers they all have particular mental health disorders. And so whether it's, you know, an FBI expert or a clinical psychologist, they help us to break down the psychology of those serial killers. So if anybody's interested in the mind of a serial killer, killer's vault is for them, but it's very graphic. It's very shocking. And I would say it, 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 can be very disturbing at times.
1: Do you have a a favorite interaction or one of the favorite episodes here that uh, you've done? That's particularly interesting.
2: Well, you know, Eric Roberts says, it says it all the time. It is a call to action. Uh, Be good to your babies, you know, because all of these serial killers were abused. Um, You know, Gacy, Um, In regards to being gay and uh, humiliated by his father and just, you know, you know, really psychologically abused. You know, you kind of have to wonder who would these people have been had they been raised with love and kindness and tenderness and uh, had a healthy, emotional, physically emotional, uh, you know, healthy, physical environment to grow up in. They were all profoundly abused. And this is the result.
1: Mm. So you think this informs as well as entertains?
2: Absolutely. I think it does. It informs as well as entertains. And it is definitely a call to action. But for anybody that is interested in clinical psychology and the mind of a serial killer, You can drop into this vault for and get lost for a long, long time. As Sharon Stone said, she said, um, my mind is like a dark neighborhood. You don't want to get lost in there after the dark. And (laughs) I think you don't want to get lost in Killer Vault after the dark for too long. But they they provide a lot of um, entertainment.
1: Great. So all of season one, I think, is out right now. And all
2: of season one. Yeah.
1: And uh, season two, fingers crossed
2: season two fingers crossed we hope uh we hope the audience uh likes killer's vault and and has a need for the next season um well i'd love to say that my new movie that i directed switch before birth comes out october 23rd on lifetime with justina machado and skylar samuels as the leads Um, So I hope everybody will take a moment to check that out.
1: And you did a feature film uh, that came out earlier this year too, right? As a director?
2: Girl in the Basement came out um, and that had Judd Nelson and Jolie Fisher in it and did very well. And so, um, yeah, I hope people will they can find that on all of the streamers. It's still available.
1: I hate saying this, but it had a ripped from the headlines element to it.
2: It did. As does Switch Before Birth, which is loosely based on various couples that have survived um and dealt with infertility
1: all right well good luck with it all and you know if you ever want to come back and talk more law and order you have my phone number now
2: all right anytime i'm a, i was a fan before i joined the cast and a fan still
1: and that was elizabeth rome actor director writer from law and order and the new podcast killer's vault Thanks for tuning into this bonus episode of These Other Stories. We'll be back again next time with a really great episode.
0: Partners, Partners in crime Media. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs